So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to understand the words of the story that we just read, how they apply to our lives, and how that can make us bold for you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, there's a college pastor by the name of Tony Campolo whose commitment to Jesus often rubs off on some of his students. And he tells a story about a father who came to him one time very, very angry. And he said, Campolo, I blame you. My son's decided that after he graduates, he's not going to join some big company. Instead, he's, he's going he's to go to Haiti to build wells to help people in poverty. And Campolo, I blame you. you. You put all of these notions in his head about helping others and following Jesus. Don't get me wrong, Campolo. I'm all for following Jesus up to a point. And there it is, the American version of Christianity in four words. Many of us, myself included, were all for following Jesus up to a point. But the problem with that is, if we only follow Jesus up to a point, we miss out on the fullness of his blessing, fullness of his power, the joy, the abundant life that he came to give us. I think a, lot of, a question that many American Christians have goes as follows. If Jesus is all that he's cracked up to be, well, where's the joy he's supposed to give? Where's the healed marriage or the transformed life or the courage? Where's the exceedingly abundantly beyond all I could ask or even imagine? Because frankly, I could have come up with this much on my own. And I think the problem is that we are only willing to follow Jesus up to a point. We haven't actually really tried Jesus. For many of us, myself included, we say things like, you know, Jesus, I want to be free of the money worries, but not if that means giving some of it away, like you tell me to do, to see that you provide. Or Jesus, I want to be free of the bad habit, but not if it means giving it up. Jesus, I want my marriage to be, to be healed, but not if it means loving my spouse the way you love the church. I rather hoped you'd make my spouse do that for me. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to do a sermon series called What If?, what if we followed Jesus more than we follow our culture or our desires or whatever else it is that we're following? What if we follow Jesus more? Sort of like a, a story I heard about a man who was going to a costume party on Halloween night and he was dressed as the devil. But there was a thunderstorm so he ducked into a nearby church but there happened to be a worship service going on. And right as he opened the door there was this huge bolt of lightning. So there he was, dressed as the devil, entering out of the night to this huge bolt of lightning. Well, folks were startled, and some screamed, and then he panicked, and so he grabbed this man to ask what everyone was screaming about, and the man looked terrified and said, Oh, leave me alone, Mr. Devil. I've been going to church my whole life, but I was on your side the whole time. <laughs> and that sums up many of us, right? We go to church, but really we're on someone else's. We're on the culture side. We are pursuing that American trinity, pleasure, success, comfort, more than Jesus. We are cultural Christians, following the culture more than Jesus. But what if? What if in our marriages, in our families, in our careers, in our bank accounts, in our spiritual lives, what if we follow Jesus more than our culture? You know what I think? I think we'd have joy like we've never had. Courage we can't imagine, meaning and purpose that are very deep, and a peace that passes understanding. I remember a Christian uh, from Sudan who came to my former church, and he had had one of his arms cut off by Muslim extremists because he refused to renounce Jesus. But he had all this joy, all of this joy. And I remember he was asked, well, you know, why didn't you just kind of 
pretend to renounce Jesus or, you know, say it but not really mean it. Have your fingers crossed or something like that. I mean, don't you regret not having an arm? And he looked confused. He actually looked confused. And he said, well, why would I have done that? I mean, yeah, it's not great to be missing an arm, but I've got Jesus and that's way better. And I got all this joy. No, I don't regret it. Now, I don't understand that kind of joy that transcends no matter what happens. I don't understand that kind of courage. I don't understand that kind of freedom and hope, but I want to. I want to be that free, that brave, have that much joy. And I think the story that we just read gives us a hint how to get there, but I need to warn you, it's very challenging. But let's just walk through this story very briefly. The man in this story is often referred to as the rich young ruler, although the text never says that he's young or that he's a ruler. I think people just made that up. Sort of their fantasy. So this rich, young, and while we're at it, let's add good-looking, because they all go together, right? (laughs) Rich, young, good-looking Belvutian, or Kirklandite, or Issaquater, or whatever, (laughs) says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, what you need to know is in the Bible, eternal life is not just about going to heaven. It's about here. It's about living the eternal kind of life right here, right now, free from fear, free from self, free for a life of adventure, joy, community, closeness with God. So this guy basically is saying, look, I've got everything the world has to offer, but something's still missing. I want to start living the spiritual kind of life now. I'm ready to open a spiritual app on my smartphone. How do I do that, Jesus? And then he even goes on and he says, you know, I've kept all the commandments. I've been a very good boy. What else do I have to do? So Jesus zeroes in on the real issue, which is not whether or not he's done enough sin management. The real issue is who or what is he trusting? Jesus basically says, if you want the joy, the hope, the courage that goes with the eternal kind of life, yeah, sure, don't do, it, don't do destructive things. But more importantly, rich young Eastsider, you got to change how you relate to the good things in your life. For instance, money which in the Bible is neither good nor bad, it's neutral, it's how we use it, it's how we get it, it's whether or not we rely on it that counts. So Jesus says to this man, you got to stop relying on your money for security, and you got to trust me instead. Now, for this man, it was money. For other people, maybe it's career. They think if I just am successful, then I'll be satisfied, or folks think if I'm just good-looking enough, or if I win enough approval, or whatever. All kinds of stuff we rely on. For this guy, it was money. All the things our culture tells us to pursue, right? Now, don't get me wrong. Career, money, achievement, they can be very good things unless they become ultimate things because then that makes God our example, our teacher, our motivator, but not our savior, not the thing we're actually counting on, which is this guy's problem. And Jesus basically says to him, I'm going to prove it to you that this is your problem. Go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me. In other words, imagine your life without money. Imagine that all you have is me, Jesus. And at that, the man's face fell and he went away very sad. The thought that all he would have in life was Jesus made him sad. Ouch. Is that you? Is that me? I I don't know about you, but I don't like this story. I rarely preach on it because I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. It challenges me. It me, it gives me that kind of squirmy feeling, right? That's why I'm glad I've read so many Bible commentaries because, you see, the Bible commentaries tell me that when Jesus said, go sell everything you have, he didn't mean that literally. It was a metaphor for wanting to do it or something, right? You buy that? Mm Mm-mm. I think 
He meant it literally, at least for this one guy, because money was this guy's hang-up. Jesus says, you can have the eternal kind of life now. You can be free. You can have joy. You just have to do one little thing. You have to let go of that thing you think is making you secure and happy, but it isn't. Which for this man was money. For others, it could be career, comfort, approval of others, whatever. As long as we pursue those things more than Jesus, as our culture tells us to do, we will never know the joy, the power, the courage that only Jesus gives us. And we'll settle for the diminished half-life of our culture instead. Always worried that we're going to lose whatever it is we're leaning on. But the reward of following Jesus more than anything else, the reward is that through him we can have joy and courage no matter what. Courage that can never be taken away, joy that we can never lose. And you see, this is the rich man's ultimate problem. He did not hear the promise of Jesus. What did he hear? All he heard was the scary part, go sell everything you have. That's all he heard. But was that where the sentence ended? No, there was an independent clause attached to that sentence, wasn't there? Jesus says, sell everything you have and you will have treasure in heaven. The young man overlooked the independent clause. Never overlook an independent clause. Okay, it'll wreck your life and the English papers you turn in to your English teachers, right? Here is the promise of Jesus. If we follow him with everything we have, not the culture, not anything else, if we follow him, here's the promise of Jesus. We will have heavenly treasure, and that's not just about there in heaven. That is being so attached to eternal things that we have the eternal kind of life here and now. Joy that can never be taken away. Courage, hope, peace, adventure. Heavenly treasures that transform life on earth. Okay, practically speaking then, what does this mean? How, okay, if I'm supposed to follow Jesus whole hog, what is that, what is that supposed to look like? What, what, am I, what does that look like practically? Well, we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about that. And I'm not going to fill that in right now. I actually kind of want you to think about this for the rest of the week. A little bit of a homework assignment. Squirm with it a little bit. It, squirming is good. And we'll talk about it in the weeks to come. It's going to be different for all of us, what following Jesus full on would mean. It might mean doing our marriages the way the Bible says to do our marriages, rather than what our culture says, or Dr. Phil, or who knows who. It might mean serving the poor. It might mean giving more of our money away than we're comfortable doing and seeing that God provides and discovering that we can be happy on less. It might mean investing in the eternal things that never fade. All the research shows, I've said this before, there are three things that give people a lasting sense of joy. Connection to God. Only the researchers don't call it God. They call it the transcendent, but they mean God. Connection to God, deep relationship with others, and a purpose greater than ourselves. That's what gives lasting joy, which is why it's sad that I just read that according to the Barna Group, who, did, who surveyed 1,000 Americans about this year's New Year's resolutions, they found that almost everyone made resolutions about three different things. Can you guess? The number one, can you guess? Weight. Losing weight, saving money, something about their careers. Almost no one made resolutions about developing deeper relationships with someone else. And only nine out of the thousand said anything about getting closer to God. There's our culture leading the way again, right? What matters? What matters most in life? Money, career, looks. Even though it's connection to God, connection to others, and a purpose larger than ourselves that gives lasting joy. So maybe following Jesus with everything we've got means investing in some of those eternal things more. 
And we'll talk about how we do that practically in the next few weeks. But for now, just to get us going, let me make two suggestions. Two, two things to start with that can help free us from being cultural Christians and help us follow Jesus more. First, we have to admit that we have a problem. The reality is most of, myself, most of us, myself included, sort of really do follow our culture's norms more than Jesus. Most of us do that. Maybe not all of us, but most of us. Me too. We are cultural Christians. What do I mean by that? We are more consumed with our careers, winning approval, money, comfort, pleasure, and then we tack Jesus on on the side sort of to help us out. Cultural Christians. Twelve-step programs have taught us the first step to getting over something is you've got to admit that you have a problem. Which is why in your first meeting, you know, you've seen it over and over on TV, you know, your first meeting, you get there and you say your name, hi, my name is so-and-so, and then, you know, I'm an alcoholic or a shopaholic or whatever it is, right? And then everyone in the group says, hi, so-and-so, right? And I've said before, I think that should be a ritual in churches. I think it would be great. So, in fact, I want to kind of practice it right now. I'll start. <laughs> hi, my name is Scott. I am a cultural Christian. Now you, hi, there you go, right? Okay, awesome. Now I want you to try it. Admitting it is getting over it, all right? So I want you to try it. Repeat after me. I am a cultural Christian. I am a cultural Christian. Hi, sinners. <laughs> me too, right? I got stuff. You got stuff. All God's children got stuff. And we get over it by starting, starting by admitting it. We are captive to our culture, but we don't have to be. We don't have to be. We can be free, and we're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks. And the second thing I'm going to invite us to do to begin the process of getting free is this. Between now and Easter, let's do some spiritual training exercises. Not trying harder to be good. No, 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 no. You know who loves trying harder? The devil loves trying harder because you'll just feel discouraged. Training exercises to retrain our hearts away from the culture and to follow Jesus more wholeheartedly. So where is it that you follow Jesus only up to a point? I want you to think about this this week. Where is it that you follow Jesus only up to a point? Maybe for you it's comfort. You'll follow Jesus up to the point that it's uncomfortable. So maybe a training exercise for you between now and Easter, do something for God that is outside your comfort zone. Maybe talk to someone about Jesus or serve food to homeless people. And you know, If you don't know what to do, ask one of us pastors. We'll make you uncomfortable. Maybe for you it's a bad habit. You will follow Jesus up to the point of giving it up. How about between now and Easter then as a training exercise, you give it up. And if you need help, get someone to help you with that. Maybe it's money that you follow more than Jesus. As a training exercise, give more of it away and see him provide. And I think if we take on some spiritual training exercises to retrain our hearts away from the culture and toward Jesus, I believe we'll experience his power, his joy, his courage much, much more. I heard a, a, a story recently from a woman named Carolyn, whose husband is a public school teacher in a, in a different city. Uh, and her, his name was Mark. And she and Mark took a group of 11th graders on a humanitarian trip to Mexico to build a playground in an impoverished area working with a Christian organization that offered to help. Well, most of the students were not Christians, so Mark said to this organization, look, if there's even a hint, hint of proselytizing, parents and teachers, they might get upset. Well, when they got there, the accommodations that they planned for at a Rotary Club fell through, so they had to sleep on the floor of a church uh, in a very uh, dangerous neighborhood in Mexico. And Mark could just imagine all the parent phone calls, right, when parents got a hold of that. 
Next day, they worked on the playground and saw a lot of poverty, but also experienced, in Carolyn's words, the sweet rush of doing something worthwhile. Well, but then that night, whole bunches of students got suddenly very sick. And so, again, Mark imagined a new wave of parent phone calls when they found out about that, although he was sick too, so mostly he just threw up. Well, in the morning, two local women came from this Christian organization, and they saw sort of the carnage, and they were very concerned. So one of the women asked Carolyn for permission to pray for the students. I'll pick it up in Carolyn's words from here. This is what she said. She said, as soon as the woman began to pray, I knew we were in trouble. My hopes for a low-impact prayer faded quickly as the woman became increasingly emotional. She prayed for 10. It might have been 15 minutes, maybe more. Imagine that. She wept, she got emotional, she kept using the word Jesus over and over again. So I began a prayer of my own. Jesus, please make her stop. (laughs) I don't want Mark to get fired. I don't want angry phone calls from parents. I love that. Stop praying, right? She was willing to follow Jesus up to a point. Well, Carolyn goes on and says, when this woman was finally done praying, I looked up dreading people's reactions, but things were not what I expected. There wasn't a dry eye in the room. Students were hushed, visibly moved. One of the teachers who was not a Christian said that was beautiful. Everyone else nodded. To them, the prayer had not been proselytizing, but a heart cry, passionate, desperate, and absolutely authentic. And then I noticed something else in the room. Joy. People were smiling. I noticed I was smiling and felt a rush of joy myself. The Holy Spirit had been moving, and I, a supposedly mature Christian, had missed it, trying to tame Jesus. So these days, in more and more, I'm learning to pray yes and thank you rather than stop Jesus. I'm finding that when I stop trying to tame Jesus and just follow him instead, it's more fun. When she followed Jesus whole hog rather than up to a point, she had more joy, and even unchurched Americans were visibly moved by the power of the Holy Spirit. So where do you follow Jesus only up to a point? Maybe it's an unwillingness to forgive someone. Or maybe Jesus is inviting you to serve others in a way that's uncomfortable. Maybe he's calling you to resist the cultural pressure to always be busy and actually observe Sabbath, one of the most counterculture things I think we could do. What is it for you? Think about that this week. And then what kind of spiritual training exercises might you engage in to train your heart away from the culture and more toward Jesus? Because when we do, I believe we are going to see his power unleashed. We're going to get an adventure and we're going to have joy. But not just for us, for others around us. Because others would see our joy and our freedom and our courage and they're going to want it. And then person by person, the culture on the east side just may begin to change. The word for that is called revival. And throughout all of history, whenever God's people got really serious about following Jesus, really serious, not just going to church, really serious about following Jesus, revival breaks out when God's people get serious. All throughout history. But also, interesting side note, did you know that right before every revival in history, church attendance has gone down? And then it goes up. But first it goes down. You know why? Because when folks get serious about following Jesus, some folks get scared and they leave the church. But then other folks are super attracted, and so they come, and then church attendance spikes. There's a story about Charles Wesley, the the great evangelist, and he went to preach in Ireland, and when he came back, his brother John Wesley asked, is there a revival in Ireland, brother? And Charles said, yes, there is. And John said, oh, were were there many additions to the church? And Charles said, no, but there were a host of blessed subtractions. 
Now, I'm not trying to get rid of anybody. I want to do the opposite. What if we all got serious? What if we all got serious about following Jesus? What if we did our marriages the way the Bible says to do them, not our culture, so that we were known as having the best marriages in town? What if, what if we have no financial fears because we've given enough money away that, that we know that God provides so we are free from fear no matter what the economy does? What if God's people continue what so many of you are doing to help people out of poverty, not a hand out, a hand up, so that poverty on the east side begins to diminish? What if our businesses did more than just make a profit? Yes, that too, but more radically, what if we said, Lord, how can my business build your kingdom? God has done all of these things in the past. He's doing many of them in this church and other churches like it, and I think the world will be changed if we get serious about Jesus, and I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss it. I would want to be on the sidelines, waiting it out, playing it safe, following Jesus only up to a point. I'd want to be in the game. As Pete Carroll said this week when they were asking him, do the Seahawks deserve to be in the playoffs? He had a great point. He said, well, it's better to be in the playoffs than not. Indeed. (laughs) Don't you want to be in the playoffs of life? Jesus, I certainly do. The number one promise that Jesus makes, most frequent promise, if you lose your life, you'll find it. So what do you say, First Press? Let's not dip our toes in religion. Let's do a full-on cannonball dive and immerse our life in the life of Christ. Let's not follow him up to a point. Let's follow him all the way. And what joy would we know? How would that change the world? What if we did that? So Holy Spirit, make us strong and make us brave. Make your church the people who are willing to lay it all down for you And then see your abundant reward of eternal life, not just in heaven, but the eternal kind of life right here, right now. We trust you for that, Jesus. In your name, amen.